For our scripture reading this morning, we turn to Psalm 9. We read this in connection with the third commandment regarding the name of God. Pay special attention then to the references to God's name in this psalm. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Let's hear the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism this morning in Lord's Day 36. There the Catechism asks us, what is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence, 
so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the third commandment that God spoke to the children of Israel from Mount Sinai was, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The first commandment, as we saw, was that we are to have no other gods before him. The second commandment, that we are not to worship God by graven images of any kind. And now the third commandment is that we not treat his glorious name as a thing of little worth, but rather as a thing of great preciousness. By nature, of course, we are sinners. By nature, we are inclined to do the exact things that the Catechism explains we ought not to do to abuse, to profane, to pollute the precious name of God. The name of him who created the heavens and the earth. The name of him who preserves and governs all things by the power of his providence. We are inclined by nature to take his name in vain. God has revealed his name to us in the Holy Scriptures so that we would know him. That's why he gives us his name. Because through his name, through his many names, he reveals glorious truths about himself. But as fallen sinners who are inclined to all kinds of sins, we simply are not interested in that glorious name and we are not interested in those glorious truths, and we treat the name of God as something of a trifle, something insignificant. We use it and speak it in frivolous ways as if it has no value and as if it is not precious. That by nature, by nature we take the name of God in vain, in all of its forms, in all different kinds of ways, and for all different kinds of reasons. But in Christ Jesus, as those who have been quickened together with Christ, as those who've been redeemed by the precious blood of our Savior, we've been given new desires, new inclinations, a new man through the Holy Spirit. And according to those desires, we love the precious name of God. And we do desire to magnify, to worship, to glorify 
that name above all names. So let's consider together the third commandment as the guide to our Christian life. First of all, avoiding the horrible sins. Secondly, using God's name rightly. And thirdly, obeying from the heart. The third commandment is the one that teaches us the will of God regarding our use of his name. And the Catechism explains this commandment on the basis of the whole of God's word that God requires that we not profane or abuse his name, not by the horrible sins of cursing and perjury, but not even by the no less heinous sins of rash, frivolous swearing. God hates all of those uses of his name. Let's consider three horrible aspects of transgression against the third commandment. First of all, the Catechism mentions cursing. God forbids that we take his name in vain by cursing. And another word for cursing is blasphemy. Cursing is the horrible sin of invoking the name of God in order to pronounce evil against God himself or to pronounce evil against our neighbor because we hate God or because we hate that neighbor. It's an expression of hatred, cursing is. It's an expression of defiance toward God. And it's an expression of the wish the desire for the destruction of God, for the damnation of the neighbor. That is the horrible sin of cursing. Now, we might ask ourselves, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody curse God or curse their neighbor in the name of God? Well, on the one hand, there are those who do not believe in the God of Scripture. There are the heathen peoples of the world who worship other gods, idol gods. And they might curse God in his name out of the vain and foolish belief that their God is actually able to do harm to our God, that their God is actually able to destroy Jehovah, the one true God, or at least that their God is able to harm him or to decrease his power and influence in their life because they prefer this God or these gods and they hate the God of Scripture, so they might try to curse him in his name, invoking the power of their gods against the one true God. We find that in Scripture, for example, in Revelation 16, verse 9. We're told that in the last days, the worshipers of the beast of the Antichrist and of the dragon or Satan will blaspheme or curse the name of God when he pours out the vials of his wrath upon them. The scriptures prophesy that in the last days men will not repent when God pours his judgments upon them, but rather they will curse God to his face. They will blaspheme him, invoking his name. So there's that. But on the other hand, it's possible that even Christians would curse God, invoking his name and speaking evil against him. 
it's possible that Christians would be tempted to do that, particularly when God sends trials and tribulations into their life. When God lays upon them sufferings of various kinds and makes their life very hard so that they find themselves perhaps in a time of their life where they're in depression and despondency and despair and they feel that God is against them. They feel that God is being unfair with them and they become angry with God and they start to shake their fist at God and they can be tempted in those dark moments to blaspheme, to curse the name of God, their God. We find an example of that temptation in Job 2, verse 9, when Job lost his children, he lost his properties, and he became dreadfully ill. And his own wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? That can be a temptation, even for the people of God, in moments like that. But another temptation, even for us, the children of God, is not maybe to curse God himself, but to curse the neighbor. To invoke the name of God to curse our neighbor. In certain dreadful situations, a husband might even be tempted to curse his wife, or a wife to curse her husband when their marriage is not going well, and they're involved in constant quarreling and striving with each other. It's possible that a Christian worker would be tempted to curse his co-worker, invoking the name of God to call down damnation upon him, to express the desire for evil to fall upon him in the name of God because that neighbor somehow is hurting him or harming him or irritating him or making him so, so angry and as Christians, we need to be reminded that God hates when we take his name in vain through cursing and blaspheming. Those are horrible and heinous sins of taking his name in vain. That in the first place. In the second place, the Catechism mentions that God forbids us to take his name in vain through what we often call swearing or profanity. Rash swearing, frivolous swearing, which is the taking of God's name upon our lips thoughtlessly and carelessly. Treating the name of God without respect, without honor, as if it is just a word, as if it is just to be used as an exclamation point when we experience surprise or when we find something unexpected that happens, maybe something that gives us great delight, and we blurt out the name of God. That's profanity. Or when we experience something that terrifies us, and we blurt out the name of God. That's rash swearing. God will not have us to use his name as an expletive, as a cuss word, as an exclamation point, when we feel surprised, how many times does that happen? Every day under the sun. All you have to do is turn the television on, turn the radio on, or watch a video or two on the internet, and you're almost guaranteed to hear the name of God taken in vain by the children of this world in their television shows, movies, music, books, and so on. 
But as Christians, we must remember that these are gross sins. We must not minimize it. Even when we become desensitized to it, we must be reminded that's a gross sin. When they say OMG in this form or in that form, we have to remind ourselves that's wicked. That's a profaning of the name of God. It's taking of the great, glorious, precious name of God and making it an exclamation point. That's profanity. We have to remember that God's wrath is kindled every day, a thousand, ten thousand times over, when men, women, and even children take God's name on their lips in that way. As God's people, we have to make it our conscious and intentional choice to refuse to use God's name in that way. We have to be conscious and deliberate about that to remember how precious and glorious is the name of God so that we aren't desensitized to it, but rather we shudder in our souls. Our, sh- our souls are rocked and shaken whenever we hear God's name taken in vain. In the third place, the Catechism teaches us that the third commandment also means that God forbids that we, by silence or connivance, become partakers of these horrible sins in others. His wrath is kindled, the Catechism says. Notice that. His wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing. Silence and connivance means that we tolerate these sins when other people commit them. We tolerate these sins when people do them in our presence and when it is in our power or in the realm of our authority to prevent it and forbid it as much as we can. When we say nothing or do nothing, when our co-workers are constantly profaning God's name in our presence, when our neighbors are doing that, when maybe even our friends are doing that, cursing and swearing and profaning God's name, and we act as if it's okay. We act as if we approve of it or we don't mind it or it's not that big of a deal. God's wrath is kindled against that as well. This is perhaps our greatest sin against the third commandment as Christians. We know better than to curse and swear and profane God's name. But when others do it, we're very inclined to tolerate that, aren't we? We're inclined to minimize it. We're inclined to pretend like it didn't happen. We don't want to rebuke them. We don't want to make waves in the workplace. We don't want to create an awkward situation. We don't want them to criticize us or to be angry with us or to mock us. We don't want to come off as holier than thou. Well, we ought not to come off that way. We ought not to speak against the taking of God's name in vain in a judgmental or pharisaical manner. That's wrong, too. We are not to tell them the sinfulness of that 
as if we don't commit that sin or any other sins. No. But we have to nevertheless pluck up the courage and pray for the humility to say something. I have to do that. To pluck up the courage and pray for the the meekness to say something, to defend the honor of the name of our God. God requires that of us. And then while we do that, it's my firm conviction, because we're usually talking about our neighbors who are outside the church, who are ignorant of God's commandments by and large, except for the conscience within them, then we also ought to take the opportunity to give a positive witness. Not just the rebuke, that's wrong, don't do that, but also the positive witness. There's one of those opportunities to speak to them about that glorious name of God as the God of our salvation through Jesus Christ. All of that requires great courage and great humility, which we don't have by nature. But there are other ways that by silence and connivance, we often become partakers of these sins and others. And I speak now, and I probably will make this application every time I preach this commandment to you and to myself. When we watch TV, when we watch shows, movies, and other programs, when we listen to music, and we expose our ears to the profaning of God's name, are we willing to turn the television off? Are we willing to do that? Do we do that? Or do we tolerate it? Do we minimize it? Do we act as if we didn't hear it or pretend like we didn't hear it? If we do that, then the question that comes to us from the catechism and from God's word this morning is, why do you do that? Why do I do that? Why don't we turn it off? And the answer is probably, at least in part, that we love the show more than we love the name of God. We're more interested in the entertainment we're receiving, the pleasure we're receiving from the movie or the music. We value that more than we value the glorious name of our God. It's not okay, beloved, to tolerate even a little cursing and swearing. The catechism and the scriptures mean to inform and to prick our consciences so that we will become more sensitive and realize, as the catechism puts it very, in very strong terms, these are horrible and heinous sins. Because the name of God to him is so precious. Now the third commandment ends with that warning that the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The Lord, in other words, doesn't wink at these things. The Lord takes it much more seriously than we do. He will not hold us guiltless when we take his name in vain or tolerate it in others. But the gospel is that God has taken that guilt that all of us has 
for breaking these sins, and he has imputed it to his son, Jesus Christ. So the calling this morning, as we know how much we've fallen short, is to turn your eyes upon Jesus on the cross. And looking at Jesus there on the cross, noticing that he had to pay no cheap price to pay for these sins that we commit. No cheap price. But the expensive, costly price of his precious blood, that's what he had to pay to cancel out these heinous sins that we have committed. He had to take upon himself the curse of God for our cursing and for our tolerating of the cursing of others on the cross. He had to suffer the wrath of God against our sins of minimizing and tolerating these sins and others. He had to suffer the hell and the damnation about which men speak so frivolously, taking God's name in vain and speaking of hell and damnation. He suffered that hell and damnation to pay for those sins. As the Catechism tells us, there's no sin greater or more provoking to God than the blaspheming of his name. And that's why he punishes this sin with death. And he has punished it with death. The death of his only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it took to purge away these sins. That's what it took for God to grant forgiveness to us in his mercy and through his justice. Praise and thank God for his mercy. And as we lay hold upon Jesus Christ, then we are to be moved in our souls to a longing desire to keep this commandment, to walk in obedience and thankfulness for that great salvation. Now we turn to the positive meaning of this commandment. God wills that we use his name no otherwise than with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and glorified in all our words and works. That is, the opposite of taking God's name in vain is that not that we don't use his name, not that we don't speak his name, but rather that we speak his name thoughtfully, carefully, reverently, fearfully, joyfully, giving honor and glory to him. That means that we speak the name of God always out of faith and out of love in the desire for the honor and glory of his name. As we read in the psalm, Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2, this ought to be the determination. This is the determination of the Christian. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou Most High. That's the Christian's desire, to sing praise to the name of God, and nothing but praise. Notice three areas of our life where God wants us to lift up his name, to honor and praise his name. First of all, God will have us use his name to glorify it in prayer. He gives us the gift of the activity of prayer. 
so that we will praise him in prayer. We're going to see shortly when we come to the Lord's Prayer that the very first petition is, Hallowed be thy name. Where Jesus teaches us, God wants us to hallow his name, to glorify and worship his name in prayer. We are to lift up the name of God when we pray. As soon as we enter into the sanctuary of prayer, our first priority is to worship God, to praise his name, to lift up his name, because the name of God reveals who he is. The name of God reveals what he has done, what he will do, all of his glorious, marvelous works and ways that display his divine attributes. And furthermore, through prayer, we are to take the name of God on our lips to give thanks to him for all of his bounties and blessings and riches that he has bestowed upon us, the great things and the small things. When we experience surprises, unlike the world, for example, when they go into their newly renovated home, for example, and as you see on these home renovation shows, and what's the first thing that they say when they see this glorious renovation? OMG! That's wicked. But when God gives us good gifts, when we are surprised at something that has happened, that someone has done for us, it's a time for prayer. It's a time for thanksgiving. Reverent thanksgiving. Further still, prayer is the way that we seek the Lord through his name. When we're going through times of trouble and distress and pain in our lives. Sometimes the Christian, as we said earlier, feels that God has forgotten him. God is laying heavy burdens upon him and he he suffers affliction after affliction and trial after trial and tragedy after tragedy. And the temptation in those times is to curse God and die, as Job's wife said. But then we have to remember there's never a time to curse God and die. Never. Never for the Christian. No matter how low God brings us, no matter how great is our suffering, even when we find ourselves swirling and sinking in the darkness of despair and depression, and our life seems to be in shambles, Sometimes Christians go through those things. That's not a time to curse God. That's a time to pour out our soul to the Lord. To cry out to the Lord. To seek the Lord's help. The Lord is our refuge and our strength. He's our light in the darkness. He's our salvation when we're lost. Lift up your eyes to the hills, whence cometh your help. Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When we go through times of trouble, it's a time to bless the Lord, like Job did. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away, and it hurts. It hurts so bad. But blessed be the name of the Lord. When we're going through troubles and trials and painful experiences, it's a time to praise God for his promises that he will never, ever, ever, ever leave us or forsake us, that he's 
always with us there, right there, right there in the darkness, right there in the trials, right there in the valley of tears. He's with us. It's a time to give praise and thanks to God that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared, no matter how great they are, to the glory that shall be revealed in us in heaven to set our sights on glory. Beloved, when we become afraid, when something happens that suddenly makes us terrified, that's not a time to take God's name in vain. That's not even a time then when we can excuse a little profanity. But when we're afraid, what does the scripture say? What time I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. I will turn to thee, Lord. I will lift up your name. And I will seek your help. Psalm 9 says in verses 9 through 10, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Those who know the name of the Lord in times of oppression and trouble and pain They don't take his name in vain. They put their trust in him. So prayer, prayer, first of all. Secondly, through song. The scriptures everywhere exhort us to lift up God's name through singing. Thankful singing. God wants us to sing to him. He wants us to take his name on our lips to the sound of music. Beautiful, godly music that carries up the praises of the Lord to heaven. Not only in God's house, but also in our houses, in our cars, in our workplaces, in our headphones. God will have us to listen to songs and to sing songs that lift up his name and praise him. That's true even, too, when we go through times of trouble and pain. Often our temptation when we're down in the dumps is to turn on some of the worldly music that we think is going to soothe our broken hearts a bit. Those melancholy songs of the world that often contain profanity and sometimes even blasphemous language against the Lord. And yet, we're tempted often to turn to that music when we're feeling discouraged, disappointed, or just down in the dumps. Now, there's Christian liberty when it comes to what music we listen to. But God wants us especially to listen to and to sing that music that lifts up and glorifies his name, especially when we're going through the Valley of Tears. And just think of the psalms that God has given to us, this book of 150 psalms, which covers the whole range of human experiences. From the lowest depths of sorrow and despondency and pain and suffering to the highest heights of joy and thankfulness and celebration, the psalms have it all. And so do other good Christian hymns and songs. They express the full range of Christian emotions and they are a soothing balm and medicine to our hearts 
when we're going through hard times. And they give glory to God in the midst of our tribulation. Other times that we enjoy music and singing are milestones in our lives. When we have a birthday, when we have a graduation, when we have a wedding celebration, a wedding feast, when we get a promotion at our job and other milestones. We want music, we want songs, we want celebration. And God wants us to magnify his name in those events. It's not like we just praise and worship God in church on Sunday and then we can go ahead and do whatever we want the rest of the week and in all the rest of life's experiences. No. In all of life's joys and sorrows, God would have us to acknowledge him, to praise him, to worship his name. Psalm 9 verse 2 says, This is the determination of the Christian heart. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. So prayer, singing, and thirdly, through confession of his name. Catechism points that out too. That through all of our words and works, he would be praised by us. God wants us to take his name on our lips. To confess his name to men. God wants us, in other words, to talk about him. To talk about him in our families. To talk about him in our marriages. To talk about him in the church, in the school, in the workplace, with our friends, in our social gatherings. Do we have spiritual conversations? Do we talk about God? Do we mention the name of God with one another? Sometimes we are tempted to compartmentalize our religion so that we only talk about the name of God in church or at family devotions. And then the name of God can sometimes become just a word. Just a a word that represents an abstract concept. A theological concept. The word God is just a word that points to a concept. And when we speak the name of God that way, that's a thoughtless, careless, faithless usage of God's name too. Christians can fiercely debate theological points, using the name of God, throwing the name of God back and forth at each other without any thought about what they're saying really. It's just a debate. That's taking God's name in vain. We're all tempted to do that, aren't we? But then also God would have us to confess his name outside of the church, to strangers, to neighbors. The scriptures constantly exhort us, encourage and press us to show forth the glory of the name of God from day to day to those outside Those unbelievers, the heathen, say among the heathen that the Lord reigns. Sometimes a neighbor might tell you about a surgery he had recently. This just happened to me last week, right here in town. A stranger, never met before, was telling me about a surgery he recently had, a heart surgery. What an opportunity to mention the name of the Lord. The Lord who gives healing. He was talking also about how he had been healed. He was doing a lot better. Well, praise the Lord for what he has done for you. Yes, he said, yes. Or another experience I had this past week, you talked to them, another stranger, never met before, talking to them at a shop somewhere and telling them about your family and, yeah, we have five children. Wow, you have five children. 
Four girls. Four girls. That's amazing. What an opportunity to mention the name of the Lord. Isn't the Lord the one who gives children? Isn't he the one who decides boys and girls? Those opportunities are coming at us constantly every day, but we have to recognize them. In other words, God will have his name to be, as it were, right on the tip of our tongues all the time. Right on the tip of our tongues so that we're ready and eager to tell others about God. And that's our Christian calling. That's what Paul calls our reasonable service. For all that he's done for us, to glorify his name in the midst of the world. Finally, as with all of God's commandments, there's an external and an internal aspect to it. And God also wants obedience in our hearts, especially in our hearts. The third commandment does apply primarily to the words we speak with our lips. Each of the commandments has a special emphasis or focus on certain deeds and actions. This commandment focuses on the words we speak from our lips. God wants us to obey him in our hearts as well. He wants us to take his name up in our hearts. In other words, that we're thinking about God. That we are people who are consumed with God. We are God-conscious people. We are people who are constantly conscious of God, thinking of God, meditating on God, praising God, fearing God, adoring him in our hearts where nobody else sees, nobody else hears. It is possible, you know, of course, to take the name of God in the right way with our lips. Nobody ever hears us curse. Nobody ever hears us swear. People hear us say lofty and flowery things about the Lord. They hear us sing. They hear us pray. But it's possible that all the while in our hearts we're profaning the name of God constantly. That's the religion of the Pharisee, isn't it? That's the hypocrite. The person who on the outside looks really good, sounds really good, but in the heart, in the sanctuary, the invisible secret place of the heart, there's no love of God. There's no interest in the glory of God. No, God would have us to love him in the heart to fear him in our hearts, to honor his name in our hearts. And as the children of God, who know this God personally, who know him by faith, with no empty or superficial or merely historical faith, but a true living faith, that's our heart's deepest desire to please the Lord, to fear him, to glorify him with all of our heart. So let us speak the name of the Lord. Let us speak it. But not only speak it respectfully with our lips, let us also glorify his name in our hearts. Let us grow in the Christian life. We can all grow. 
When we hear sermons on the commandments, they ought to prick our consciences and drive us back to Christ for our salvation. And then, as we depart from the cross, refreshed in that righteousness that is secure for us in Christ, in his blood, that we now go forth into the world with a renewed resolve to pray, to sing, to confess the name of God from the heart, to give glory and honor to the Lord of our salvation. Is your desire to love God more tomorrow than you did today? Is your desire to praise him more in 10 years than you did this past year? Is your desire to grow in the Christian life? May God give us the grace to grow. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we confess we are weak and sinful and we often take thy name up on our lips in vain. Father, forgive us through the precious blood of Christ. And use thy word this morning, Father, to encourage us, to show us the way that we should go, the way that we should live. Father, give us strength so that when we hear thy name taken in vain, we may no longer be silent and tolerant. Father, forbid that we would minimize the seriousness, the wickedness of these sins. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow in the usage of thy name, that from our hearts we would praise thee with our lips, and that we would speak to our neighbors about thy wonderful works and ways.